Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. For the ones that are new here, welcome to An Immigrant's Life. I'm your host, Aaron Deliosa, and on this show, I facilitate meaningful conversation that sparks ideas and share stories from people that have been impacted by immigration. Uh, however, it's important to note that just because I'm listening doesn't necessarily mean I agree with everything my guest says. My aim is to foster discourse that allows us to explore different perspectives, leaving you, our listeners, to decide what resonates with you. I had a busy weekend. I finally finished coaching my eldest son in his intercity league. Unfortunately, we lost our playoffs game. We got smack. <laughs> I mean, I understand the boys were tired the night before, but reflecting about it now, it was such a great experience seeing these boys improve and find themselves and find their way to play together. It was very inspiring and it was enjoyable. Am I going to coach next year? Perhaps. We'll see what's going to happen. Uh, it's a lot to take on, but I really love coaching, so maybe. Actually, I'm not done coaching. I'm actually coaching my youngest for his house league this Sunday. He is, it's our playoffs, so big games coming up. Hopefully, it goes to our favor. It's anxiety-ridden, but this is why we play sports, right? So that's the personal check-in. Now, how about let's talk about this week's episode. This week's episode, I'm thrilled to introduce a dynamic human resources professional that is originally from Uganda and now making waves in the U.S. In our conversation, we delve into a range of topics from the intricacies of exit interviews and resume crafting to the ever-relevant discussions surrounding remote work. She shares invaluable insights on conflict resolution, the art of active listening, and her perspectives on the constantly evolving landscape of the U.S. job market. So settle in and join us as we explore the multifaceted world of HR, career development, and the power of embracing diversity in the workplace. And with those beautiful words, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a human resources professional who's a combination of intelligence and a pleasing personality, hailing from the land of beauty. Everyone, please welcome Linda O'Hairwe. Hello, it's so nice to be on this podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you so much for accepting. Uh, when, anyways, before we move on, if you want to promote anything, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So you can follow me at HR by Linda, where I talk about all things work related and give tips and advice. And yeah, it's a good time over there. Yo. By the way, do you write your lines or your script? I mean, I just talk. Yeah, I do research and then I just talk and depends on how I'm feeling. Sometimes I do prepare a script. Sometimes I just record, you know. Mm, that's amazing. Man. Like, And by the way, you're so prolific. Thank you. That's really, that's really nice of you to say. I appreciate that. 
It's true. I mean, like you put out this information all the time. Like, yo, I'm like, I'm absorbing the first one. Give me five seconds. <laughs> I'm trying to keep everyone informed. You know. No, it's awesome, man, for sure. By the way, I love that post that you did. I think two days ago. So I'm gonna open with that. Tell me about yourself. Oh yes, that's a great one because I, I talk a lot about it on my on my Instagram. Um, so yeah, thanks for asking, Aaron. So my name is Linda. She her pronouns. I'm originally from Uganda, first generation immigrant in the United States. I have a strong HR journalist background. I've been in HR my whole life. I studied HR. I've always been a people person. In high school, I've always held leadership positions and always been a people person and uh, worked in various sectors in HR. I worked at the UN. I worked at a bank. I worked at Deloitte. So I've really kind of navigated the HR space pretty well, I would say, and kind of found my niche and recently started posting on Instagram just to spread awareness, help people. And yeah, I feel like it's it's been a good journey for me and I'm excited for the future as well. Excellent. Yeah, for sure, man. Like you helped so much. There are things that you say I'm like that I didn't even think about, you know? Exactly. Did you move to the US or were you born in the US? No, so my background is actually very interesting. So I was born in Russia um back when the Soviet Union collapsed. Yeah, I know everyone everyone always thinks I'm Filipino. Either I'm Filipino or I'm Dominican, or Puerto Rican, something, that, no one yeah. ever, because I'm mixed, so no one can ever know, but <laughs> I've gotten Filipino a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. But I was born in Russia, and my mom is actually from Kazakhstan, and my dad is from Uganda, and uh, they're both pharmacists, and my dad was studying back in the Soviet Union, he learned Russian, he, he did his pharmacy education in uh, Ukraine, in Russia, and then I was born, and then we moved to Uganda, so... I grew up in Uganda and then recently, well, not recently, like over 10 years ago, I moved to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Pharmacist. What are you doing in HR? <laughs> well, I mean, I can't be a pharmacist. I have <laughs> no passion for science and chemistry and physics. I think my my strengths are business and accounting and finance, that that kind of side, and HR as well. So, yeah. How was mom and dad with when you said that you want to do HR? They were always supportive. I think they always knew that I was a strong individual from early on. Uh, I have a younger brother now who is starting to go to college and very different personality from me. I was always self-driven and I knew what I wanted to do. So my parents never really had to do anything other than feed me and take me to school. <laughs> Otherwise, I was always like, you know, studying, getting good grades and like I knew where I wanted to go to school. They really just were there, you know, supportive people, which I really appreciate. I think they, they always supported me in whatever I wanted to do. I love that. Make sure you don't die, you know? Exactly. <laughs> you have kids now, right? You always have to keep them away from dangerous things. Uh, the eldest one remind, like, reminds me of you. He, really? He's good. He like, make sure he doesn't die. Make sure he does the thing, you know? The second one, he's a bit of a wild card. You have two boys? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Any plans to have another one and maybe a girl? No. Two no. is pretty a lot, huh? Two is perfect, girl. Yeah. Two. I agree. I think I would have two kids. Hopefully a girl and a boy. But Yeah, you know, everybody says that. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, the second one we thought was going to be a girl. Yeah. Did you do like the early gender or did you like wait until the uh, the birth? Early gender. I don't think, bro, I don't play that game, man. Like, yo, no I got no. And don't ask me about that. Uh, what do you call those things that people do now? 
The gender, the gender reveal. reveal? Ay, ay, ay. I'm like, yo, why can't you just like go to your family and say, by the way, boy or girl, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's too much nowadays. Yeah, they make it like crazy. And I'm like, just tell people and like celebrate. It doesn't have to be something insane, you know? But Yeah, I think that they're not making it about the baby. It's more for them, you know? Exactly. Which is yeah. whatever. But yeah, so anyways, you open up your said your pronouns. As an HR practitioner, how do you accommodate that to support individuals who identify they or them or whatever pronouns they use now? Yeah, I think it's been a very um, a very gradual accommodation in the HR space. I think older generations, you know, boomers who are kind of retiring now and, you know, younger people getting into the workforce, I think they've been a lot more receptive. I have worked with people that are older than me and We've had people that, you know, identify as they, them, or, you know, specifically always are reminding people about their pronouns. And sometimes you, they would catch themselves. Like, it's also a human thing. It's not any, anything intentional sometimes. I would, like my previous supervisor who I worked with, who was a really good friend, um, she would always misgender one of our team members. And I think uh, just constantly trying to remind them, like, you know, these are their pronouns, not in a very mean way, just to say, you work in HR, you should try your best to make sure that you're gendering, you know, the staff correctly, because it's not a good look for us if we don't know how to, you know, gender people. And, um, but I think it's been, it's been a slow thing. And I think, um, yeah, definitely still more work needs to be done, but it's, I think it's been good. Mm. What if there's someone that refuses to do the gender thing? What do you mean? Like, you know, like, like I don't want to call you they, them, whatever you feel like right now. It's he or she, that's it. That's a that's a really good question. I don't think I've ever had that question. That would be an issue because then I think we we don't even have policies in any handbooks to say that. So I think that would also be a new area for us in, in HR because that would be a hostile work environment. You know, um, you're making your team members feel unsafe and not, you know, physical, psychological safety is really important in the workplace. So I think I would definitely need to have a conversation with that employee to say, this is the gender that this person wants to be identified as. You have to respect that. This is a professional work environment. So, um, yeah. And if it continues on, then I think that would definitely be something that would be escalated, potentially even to uh, termination. I think we would have to have, you know, backups and documentations. But if it is something that they're doing intentionally and making so that they're making the other person feel uncomfortable, then that is a hostile work environment. That is a form of harassment and that is a form of termination. So I think if it's if it happens a lot, you know, things have to happen. Okay. Devil's advocate. What if that guy doesn't mean on any harm or anything? He just, you know, he's just old school that like, you know, hey, I'm not disrespecting you or anything, but, you know, you're he, they, or whatever you are. You know what I mean? Like, he's being respectful, but he just refused to use those pronouns. Yeah, so at that point, I think, especially if it's like an older employee, we would potentially put them through some kind of training, some kind of um, course that talks about, you know, being welcome, the progressive nature of the workforce, respecting people's pronouns, inclusivity. There's so many trainings right now that you could put your employees through. Because at the end of the day, it's a work, you know, a workplace. We all have to be uh, accommodating. We all have to be respectful of one another. And if someone is requesting to be gendered a certain way, you have to, you know, you have to do that. Because it's like me saying, your name is Aaron, but I'm going to call you 
Adam because I don't feel like Aaron is a you know a, a thing that I can say. You know, it's it's something similar like that. So we would have to put you through training to say Aaron is Aaron. You can't call him Adam because you want him to have a more American name or something that's easier for you to say or something that you don't agree with. That's a you problem, you know. So then you have to be put through training to make sure that you can come around to accepting that this person's name is Aaron and this person's pronouns are she, her. Uh, because at the end of the day, if the employees, you know, are unhappy, it is a form of harassment, I think. And um, yeah, so we want to make sure that everyone feels welcome and included in the workplace. Mm, for sure. Have you spoken to your dad about they, them pronouns? Yes, my parents are, <laughs> especially I find with like immigrant parents, like they don't really understand it. Like they're just like, okay, because I do have a cousin who uh, identifies as they, them mm. and for the beginning, they were like, what? They didn't really understand. And they were like, I don't know. And they constantly misgender them. And I'm like, you're going to make this person like hate you because you're not even trying. So I think that's definitely difficult. I know, like, especially in Uganda, which is a country that has a lot of issues, like being gay there is uh, illegal. So they're definitely going to misgender you. They don't care, you know. So I think in the U.S., there's a lot of cushioning and a lot of protection for people but in Uganda, no one cares. You'll go to jail at the end of the day, you know. So it's a very, it's two very different worlds. Mm -hmm. How do you find the balance then? I mean, when I'm in Uganda, I'm, I would say I'm the same. I don't know. I always try and be respectful and, you know, like a nice person. And I'm not going to try and go out of my way to make someone feel uncomfortable. If I can be, you know, if I can educate my parents about this stuff, I also think it's important that you keep up with the times just because you grew up in one way, times are changing. And if you don't keep up with the times, you're going to be outdated, just like in the workplace. AI is taking over the workplace. If you're not keeping up with it, you're going to be the one who's losing at the end of the day. So I think it's a coming from a learning mindset and a growth mm -hmm. mindset mm -hmm. instead of like, a, oh, I'm just stuck in my ways and I don't want to learn this and I don't want to do this. So I think just leading with learning and growth is always has always been beneficial for me, especially with my parents who can be very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. How do you deal with conflicts with I don't know, dude. I'm like, if I was in HR, I'm like, oh, you and you, you have a problem. Let's go outside. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be good HR. You would get fired. <laughs> yeah, I think conflict is something that I've dealt with a lot. It happens so much, I think, especially with people who have different personalities, people who have stronger personalities, people who, you know, it just comes up all the time. And I feel like I'm always dealing with some kind of conflict. So for me, I think one good thing that um, I really find helps me is I'm a really good listener. I really prefer to kind of listen and ask questions. I don't really like to talk about myself, but I find that helps with people because they feel like they can confide in me. They feel like they can trust me. And, you know, HR has this bad rep of like, you're going to protect the company and you're just going to go and tell everyone or tell the CEO or whatever, like this employee is problematic. That would never be me. I want to make sure things are kept confidential and trust is really important to me. And, you know, building trust with my employees is really important to me. So when I deal with conflict, it's the same way. You know, I try to get to know people, understand where they're coming from, listen to them, ask them all the questions and just like coming from a no judgment zone. You know, I'm just I just want to hear I just want to hear what you're saying. Tell me that this other employee is terrible, whatever, I'm going to listen to it. And then I'm going to go ask the other employee and then they're going to, you know, tell me their side of things. And so uh, I also think it's important to be very objective and impartial and then find out what the root cause is. Cause there's always a greater thing. Like maybe it's 
someone is being bossy or rude or they don't know that what their jobs are supposed to be and then there comes that clash of like well I'm the team lead in this project or whatever it is so I think being able to problem solve and find the cause really does help in conflict resolution but at the end of the day they're not going to be best friends even though we come together in a room and we mediate you know but I think it's important that they stay professional and don't make other people feel weird you know because you know when there's like fights and then team is like oh there's beef going on and it just makes other people feel uncomfortable so we want to make sure that everyone doesn't feel like you know weird in the workplace and and yeah they don't have to be best friends but they have to keep things professional at the end of the day yeah for sure i know you're big in active listening where did you learn that and why do you think it's so important yeah i've always been a really good listener i don't know i think my fiance is not is he has to have he's learning how to be a good listener because sometimes I come home and I had a long day terrible day and I just want to be listened to and heard <laughs> and he's he's an engineer and so he's always trying to problem solve he's like well let's do this did you try this and I'm like no I just want to talk to you and I want you to listen so I think it's uh very much like a personality trick but I also think it's something that you can learn I think just taking a step back, asking questions, not thinking about yourself in that moment and really focusing on that person that's listening to you, you know, taking cues. I think it's really important and, and working in HR, but also in building relationships, I think it's been very beneficial in my career because I, I think that's been um, something that's been a strong, strong suit for me and has helped me go a long way. Yeah, I think I'm a good listener sometimes. But you should of, be uh, for a podcast person. <laughs> yeah, I, I do okay, I guess. But sometimes, like, I'm like your. I think it's a man thing that, like, oh, there's a problem, let's fix it. Yes. And I'm not being sexist or anything. It's just that's how we are. Like, yeah. One plus one is walls two. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, like women yeah. are more so sophisticated. You guys are smarter. One plus one is two. Why two? Exactly. And we'll be like, dude, just, bro, I just want to drink beer. Leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I went to therapy a few years ago and what helped me with that was my therapist told me if somebody's talking to you about their problems or whatnot, ask them, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to be a listener or do you want me to give you advice? And mm. that really helped me a lot. Yeah. And how has therapy been for you? I know it, it gets a lot of stigma in, you know, third world or other countries other than the U.S. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you are doing therapy. How would your parents feel if you told them that you're doing therapy? Would you think that they'd be like, why? You can solve your own problems. They're the reason why I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're okay with it. it. It took a while, a little bit, yeah. especially with my dad, you know. Dad's old school. Old. Yeah. Be, a, be a man. Push those feelings down till you die. Right. You know, but um, yeah, it's been okay. It's been, it was hard at the beginning. Like, yo, first I didn't want to say it, you know. I mm. felt ashamed a little bit. Mm. But then I started talking about it to my mom and my mom's like, oh yeah, me too. Like, she didn't go to therapy, but like, oh, I'm going through those things too. Yeah. And I went through those things. So I'm like. Why didn't you say anything? Right. You Do you know? have a difficult relationship with your parents? No, great, great, great yeah. relationship. Yeah. Uh, the, when, I, when I was young with my dad, it was a little bit difficult. 
But with my mom, well, I grew up without my mom. Uh, she, I, I talk about this ad nauseum, but you know what? This is my podcast. I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> um, she used to work in Hong Kong. I was in the Philippines. And for, I think it was like from, I believe I was nine or eight. She will go to Hong Kong for work for two years, come back for a month and mm. go back and forth and back and forth mm. until we moved to Canada, which I was 20, 21. That's mm. the first time I had time with her. Mm. You moved with your mom to Canada? She she moved first and then we follow after. Okay. And your dad? The same. He moved uh, with us. But uh, I didn't grow up with him. He was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Really? <laughs> yeah. So are your parents together? Yeah, they're together. Unfortunately, they're still together. <laughs> yeah. They also have that stigma of like, we just have to make marriage work. Like, mm. It's not really an option, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How about your parents? Are they, they love each other or they're all right? I mean, I think they're just, I don't, wouldn't say that they're like in love with each other, but I think they're, they have a good partnership and they understand each other really well. Yeah, I think that's important because I think we have this idea of like, if you're in a marriage, you have to love each other all the time. Like, bro, <laughs> I got no time. Yeah. <laughs> Are you married? I say I am, but I'm like, we're not officially married, but in my head, like, I'm not leaving her. She's not leaving me. How, how do your parents feel about that? Like the untraditional living together, not married with kids? They didn't have, I don't, I don't, nothing, actually. Yeah. We never talk about it. Yeah. It was just never an issue. And yeah. I was the first one in my family, actually in my clan, to be with a person that is not Filipino. Ah. I'm the rule breaker. Yeah. You have siblings? Yes, I have two. Do they yeah. live in Canada too? Yeah, yeah. They have all my families here. Fortunately, I'm super fortunate. Yeah, like, that's awesome. Uncles, aunties, you know, not all of them, but the majority, the, the best ones, almost. Yeah. <laughs> you so, know? do you guys go back to the Philippines often? Yeah, no, not often. Um, I we I went back. I brought my kids. When was that? 2019, the first yeah. time, to show like, hey, this is where I grew up. Right. You know? I was like, I was poor. And they're like, I love it here. Like, no, <laughs> you're supposed to hate it. Right. Are you, you know? teaching them the language? No, I tried, but they're like, they just give me that look. My second one, yes, but the first one, no. No, he's yeah. like, go look less. Do you speak Swahili? What do you speak? I speak Russian, yeah, because my mom taught me uh, Russian. Mm. Russian yeah. and... And English, that's and it. English. Okay. You don't speak Swahili? I mean, no, I can understand a little bit, but the national language is English in Uganda. Everyone speaks English. I'm not sure if it's the same in, in the Philippines. Yeah, very much, yeah. I mean, national language is Filipino, but everyone can speak English or at least understands it. Right, right. Know? That's why foreigners love the Philippines. Right, true. You know, because it's so easy to communicate, really, you know. Yeah. I was going to ask you, in Canada... When an immigrant is moving and looking for a job, they have this thing called Canadian experience. Mm -hmm. Is there the same thing in America? Um, tell me what Canadian experience is. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're like the number one surgeon in Uganda. If you've never worked in Canada, they kind of like don't care. Hmm. Does, that, does that mean that they need you to have Canadian experience before they can employ you? Something like that. They won't say it directly because I think it's uh -huh. against the law, but yeah. that's pretty much what it is. And do they need to have like a specific visa to employ uh, someone from, who's not Canadian? 
Oh no! It, like, well, obviously, you're supposed to be have PR or you have to have oh, yeah. a job, but but it's like the sense of like looking for a job. Yeah. Like you have, they will say like, oh, you don't have Canadian experience because you don't have references because you're new. Yeah, I don't think it happens as much in the U.S. I think for jobs that are hard to fill, like doctors or. Um, specific niche roles I think they're willing to take anyone who has experience who can um, yeah who has the qualifications but I have never I have never looked at a resume and looked specifically like they have U.S. experience Um, yeah so I don't think it happens as as often here well because of your background too I'm sure it helps yeah I mean I think it's definitely a deterrent because um, hiring someone who's not a U.S. national requires you to sponsor them. It costs thousands to the organization. So I, I feel really sad for a lot of international students, which I was an international student, but I was the lucky one that was able to get visa sponsorship. But a lot of these students that I meet with every day who like hit me up on Instagram, they're like really smart, really talented, really capable. And it makes me really sad to see like, they're going to apply for all these positions, most likely not going to get anything. And then they have to go back to their country. And some of them have been in the U.S. for like four or five years. Like they're super used to it and they really like living here and they don't want to go back to India or wherever their countries are because, you know, living in the U.S. is a lot better for them. But because it costs so much money to hire them, they're going to get overlooked. So it just makes me really sad and I feel for them and I try to help them as much as possible. But at the end of the day, you know, the job market right now is hard and tough for Americans. So just imagine being an international student, it's going to be 10 times harder. Hmm. Do you think there's a lot of jobs not being filled out or is just statistics? I do think that there are a lot of jobs that are not filled. Um, Yeah, I posted my video about ghost hiring, which went viral. A lot of people were saying, yeah, they do this at their company. A lot of recruiters say, no, this doesn't happen. So a lot of people have different opinions, and I welcome all opinions. Like, you should be able to voice your opinion. I'm voicing my opinion. But I know that on LinkedIn and Indeed, a lot of those jobs, and a lot of people have said, you know, I've seen this job been posted for several months even some person was like two plus years they just keep reposting it because it looks good for the company or because maybe they're actually turning over super high so then maybe they're always hiring for that position or you know a lot of startups post a bunch of jobs so that they can get a bunch of funding there's so many reasons weird reasons that go on in the business side of things that people don't know about but me as someone who works in HR and who talks to CEOs and founders like you you don't really know until you start talking to people and to understand what actually goes on Hmm. so when you post stuff on Instagram obviously those are facts do you you don't add your opinion there right firstly I will say those are not all facts um facts and opinion um I think Based on my research, too, you know, it's based on what I see. I I don't want to say that everything I'm posting is facts, you know, like, for example, how to answer an interview question. That's my opinion. That's how I think you should answer an interview question. Or I do something about like layoffs um, that I saw a news article on CNN or whatever, like I'm using CNN's information. So, you know, I wouldn't say I 100% say it's facts, but I try my best to make sure that my sources are credible and that I'm using information that's actual and that so that people can have a real idea of what's going on. Mm. I asked that because does your company makes a comment about your posting like, hey, make sure, you know, keep it your opinion or, you know, make sure that 
this is you know what i mean like do they mm. say anything to you no no i mean i they wouldn't because that's none of their business first of all everyone should be allowed to say what they want i'm not saying anything about my organization i'm talking about my experience so if they did then i they would definitely get pushback from me and i'm not afraid to say speak my opinion and say tell me why i can't do this like give me a legit reason you know and i think yeah it shouldn't be unless you're shit talking the company or you know spilling all the secrets of the organization <laughs> then you know you should be allowed to say what you want the internet it's a free country you know do, yeah. and people should be able to speak freely definitely you mentioned that you moved to the US as a international student why did you choose the US Yeah, so I chose the US. So I actually went to a British high school in Uganda that followed like the British curriculum. I did A levels, O levels. I think it's similar in the Philippines, right? No, we're Americans. You the guys do uh what is it? IB? I what you ask? I'm not that smart. <laughs> Anything whatever the Americans are doing, we're doing that too. In the Filipino high schools? Yes. Oh, do you went to high school in Philipp in the Philippines, right? I went to high school and college. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I did high school in Uganda. So we did um, the English, the British version, which was A levels and O levels, which was pretty rigorous. I think American high schools don't really maybe prepare their students well enough. I don't know. I'm just saying because the minute I went to college, my freshman year was super easy for me, like calculus, everything, because I had done it in high school. But some of my friends were struggling. They were like, oh my gosh, like studying all the time. And I wanted to have fun. Like I was like, I want to get good grades. But I also want to enjoy my experience and I want to make sure that I'm going to parties, but I'm still submitting my papers on time, get, getting A's. My GPA was, you know, almost a 4.0. And so I managed to balance that really well. But um, I think that that really prepared me really well um, for college, for sure. Mm. Was there any culture shock when you moved? Yeah, major culture shock. I had been to the US many times, but it's different when you come with family and when you visit and when you go to New York. Like now that I live and commute into New York, I just have such a different opinion. Like when I was here, when I was like a teenager, it was so romantic, you know, like I thought Empire State Building and Madison Avenue and you know, all these things that you see in the movies. But now when I'm going through New York, I'm just seeing like, dirty rats, <laughs> homeless people, like, trash everywhere you know so the reality has set in but um i would say that for undergrad i did have a culture shock so i went to the school in the south in mississippi deep south which doesn't have a good uh reputation it has a racist reputation <laughs> for good reason because they do have problems uh, but i think everyone was really welcoming and if they were racist they weren't racist to my face they maybe were racist to behind closed doors but i felt very welcome and everyone was always curious about my background and they always asked me questions silly questions sometimes but nonetheless there were still questions yeah real racist people are not like yelling at you it's the one that behind closed doors exactly exactly you know like people has this idea of like they'll you're walking the street hey get rid of these immigrants or whatever they don't do that dude yeah yeah no 100 they'll go and they'll be nice to you but then they'll say such terrible things behind your back and you would never know but it happens it does happen Oh, yeah, or something like, oh, you know, you live in Uganda. I heard it's a beautiful country. And I believe you guys live in huts. <laughs> Is that why you have your background as a hut? <laughs> uh, no, because I do it 
I do like every guest. I look for a, a wallpaper that where they're from. So what that's, is that even? I was gonna ask you. It's from I don't. I, it's from Uganda apparently. So what I just, is it though? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I type in Uganda wallpaper. That's what show up. <laughs> that's so funny. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. It might be like a village somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, I don't know. There's a guy, there's a black guy, so most likely he's from Uganda. <laughs> no, so yeah, anyways, what was I saying? Ah, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Racist behind closed doors. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're racist and they're not going to be like in front of you. They're, like I said, like I said, I was saying like, they'll say something nice and then be, then they'll say something atrocious like, oh, you have pet monkeys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you had those. Yeah, I had <laughs> questions. People would ask me, like, if how close was I to the lions? Which is a fair question. You know, I think people who have never heard of Uganda, they don't know that like it's a city. Like we have norm. It's you know, it's just a normal city. But we also have people that live in the villages, and we have people that are poor. But we have normal people who go to work who have cars who are rich who are poor you know but they don't think about that they just think like africa maybe they're like with lions and like sleeping with elephants and like you know sleeping so, with first of all that's not possible you're gonna die right exactly like i don't know how they think we survive like every day it's this fight to the death with the lion to get to work i don't understand but yeah but i, I never i never make people feel bad for asking questions because i want to educate them I, I don't want them to feel stupid like you should know because why should they know they maybe would never meet anyone from uganda like you know they how would they know unless i'm educating them and telling them so i never made people feel bad about their questions i love that perspective yes like they don't know there's you know how many information that's coming at you now yeah. you don't have time to know everything yeah, information overload. That's why sometimes it's, I sometimes don't want to scroll on Instagram or TikTok because it's like every time it's just too much. And I'm like, I, it just goes over my head sometimes, you know, it's just too much information. Mm -hmm. Speaking of information overload, when you're stressed, what do you do for fun to alleviate stress? What do I do for fun? I like to sleep, honestly. I'm a big sleeper. Like I would just go to bed <laughs> and sleep off my stress. I like to cook a lot as well. I like to make different dishes and I like to go on like walks. Like that's one of the things, like listen to some music or like a nice podcast, um, but mostly sleep. I'm like, I used to sleep way too much. Like after lunch, take a nap, like mid morning, take a nap. And then I'll go to bed at like nine and wake up at like nine, you know, I was, I had maybe some issues with oversleeping. <laughs> that is a lot of sleep. I, I mean, know. Sleep is good, but too much is too much. Yeah, because then I felt tired. You don't feel like, if you sleep too much, then your body also like gets tired because you were too sleeping too much. But yeah, sleep is my favorite. I know you help some people with their resumes and whatever else. And you also help with writing cover letter. Is that really necessary? I mean, honestly, I I wouldn't say so. Like, I think with tools like ChatGPT, you can easily do that. But I think even when you apply for jobs, I think especially now in the market that in the job market that is in happening right now, like they will not get to your cover letter if they can barely get to your resume. So I think I would always tell people to focus on their resume. Cover letter is not really 
necessary until maybe you're like deep into the process like you know out of three people they might look at your cover letter to see like what you know what differentiates you from someone but yeah i don't think it's that necessary i think chat has come a long way other tools cover letter pilot like you can easily get away with those tools mm -hmm. this is one thing i learned a few years ago which i'm like i find like what is this for like exit interviews oh yeah you do that yeah, I've done, I'm doing one next week, actually. <laughs> Why? What's the point? Well, it get, we get good information. You know, an exit interview is, when, is an interview that you conduct when someone is leaving an organization. And, you know, usually when people are leaving an organization, if they have another job or whatever, they're more prone to be honest with you in terms of things that are wrong in the organization. They can tell you all the, you know, the details and be brutally honest without fearing that you're going to fire them or, you know, have some kind of negative image of them. So I find exit interviews very helpful in terms of determining, like, if there are specific employees that are problematic or maybe the culture of the organization is problematic or, like, our leaders are kind of problematic, you know. So you get a lot of information that can help you make improvements so that people don't leave. Because if you're, get, if you're doing exit interviews all the time, something's wrong. Like if people are leaving your organization, something is wrong and you need to address that issue. Mm -hmm. Have you had a case that was so heavy and that you took personally, let's say, I don't know, uh, sexual harassment case or whatever else? Mm. No, thankfully, we haven't had that. Just a lot of employee conflicts, a lot of different personalities, but never something as serious. And I, I hope I don't have to deal with that because that's <laughs> that's a big one. I think that's that I have to bring in lawyers into that kind of situation because I'm no lawyer. You know, I work in HR. I know a little bit of employment law, but definitely would need to hire some lawyers for that. Mm -hmm. Do you help immigrants to write their resumes as well? Yes, I do. So I work with a lot of international students. I uh, By immigrants... You mean just like people who are not from the U.S., right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of international students. But the thing is that I find is their resumes are like already pretty good. And, mm. you know, there's only so much that a resume can do if the job market is not good. Or if you're an international student, like I said, employers are not going to want to hire you already from the beginning. So I always just say, you know, I'm going to look at your resume. I'm going to give you some suggestions and improvements. But like. I'm not going to give you the seal that's going to get you the job of your dreams, right? Like, I'm only here to help you as much as possible. But I think sometimes they come into it thinking that Linda looks at my resume, I'm just going to get hired. Like, it doesn't work that way. And I always try and focus and tell them, instead of trying to find a job, like find an internship or something that you can get your foot in the door, because that employment uh, visa stuff can be expensive. And no one's going to want to do it. I can tell you from my personal experience, we're not going to hire someone who needs visa sponsorship, unfortunately. Mm. I actually enjoyed helping people with resumes as well. But Oh, like, really? So tell me how you helped people with their resumes. Was oh, it like Filipino dude, It was just like basic, you know? Because like, in the Philippines, they put like your age, your, ca your yeah. religion. Right, and a picture and like information that I don't need, how many kids they have. Where, <laughs> like, it's just insane. Yeah. <laughs> so that's saying like basic because they're like, like, oh, can you help me with me with your my resume? I'm like, all right, send it over. And I'll be like, uh, I'm a type B plus uh, blood type. I'm like, bro, who gives a, no one cares. Yeah, yeah. Is that how it, ha it works in the Philippines? I've yeah. always been interested because when we have hired 
at my uh, a previous organization that I worked at, we hired like people all over the world and their resumes were very interesting to me. And I was like a lot of different trends in different countries, you know, like I'm always telling people what a resume should look like in the US, you know, keep it to one page, use, you know, strong bullet points, you know, don't put a picture, not, not, none of that identifying information. And then I look and see like, if we're hiring from Kenya or like Brazil, their resumes look super different. So I, is it, is it a thing in the Philippines to have so much information on your resume? Like, do they yeah. need that information? Dude, like to get a job in the Philippines, just let's say you're going to work for McDonald's. Right. You want to know what you need? What? First, we have this, like, we have this uh, area in the town. It's called Barangay. It's uh -huh. like a zone in the town. You need that permit. You need really? police permit. You need what? FBI permit, which is like the NBI of the Philippines. Uh -huh. You know, you need medical. You need to be not sick at all or whatever. You need references. You need obviously the resume. Dude, it's like to get a job for like, let's say a McDonald's, it's incredible how people get a job. Yeah. And it's very competitive, right? Yeah. Just for like a position and they don't. I they don't do, um, you know, full-time. They right. will hire you as part-time. But you're working full-time. Is the pay, like, better? Is that why people want to work at a McDonald's? Or is it, like, just it sounds good for them? To be honest, it's a, it's a job. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, there's no job there. It's, right. it's improving now because of the telemarketing and whatnot. Yeah. That helps a lot, I find. But... Growing up there, like, there's no job. Yeah. Like, I'm so lucky I moved there or else I'll be like, I'll be driving the, the whatever, tricycle or something, you know? Do you ever f uh, think about what your life would have been like if you stayed in the Philippines? All the and time. What do, you, what do you think? Would it have been, would you have been happy, first of all? Would I be happy? I probably won't be happy because I, I'm the type of person that always want something and I always wanted to move. I always mm -hmm. wanted to immigrate, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, as a job, I, I always joke with my mom, I'll be like a construction worker. Mm -hmm. In here, it's a good job. Right, you get a lot. In the Philippines, that's like one of the lowest job. Right. You know, or uh, you know what tricycle is? Yeah, a little bicycle with three wheels. Well, it's a motorcycle, yes, oh, but okay. the same idea. I, I always joke with my mom, I, I'm going to be a tricycle driver with like, I, I'm married and I have like five kids, you know. Oh my God. Yeah. But seriously thinking, I would probably like one of those telemarketing people mm. and probably do well because I think I like, I like to think I'm smart sometimes, you know, and, and I'm, I'm always been good in English and that's a thing there. You right. know, if, you, if you're good in English, you have a leg up. Yeah. Yeah, because I was watching um, 90 Day Fiance, and one of the couples was from the Philippines. And yeah, they're, they're English. I'm trying to think, like, a lot of them spoke English. And, like, I guess a lot of the women there are, like, trying to date old white men and try and, like, move to the U.S. or U.K. or whatever, like, try and escape. Because they always come from, like, a, a really poor town in the Philippines that they don't have, like, a bathroom and... You know, when they come and visit, the, the American guy is, like, shocked at the level of poverty, you know. So, yeah, I'm just always thinking about how people are trying to, like, leave, you know, their yeah. condition. 
Well, yeah. it's a poor country, you know. And going back to you, what you said about like women trying to hook up with like white old men, because yeah. those white old men are losers here, right? Like no one's yeah. dating them. Exactly, and they get like a beautiful Filipino woman, and they feel like they're on top of the world. <laughs> yeah, but to be honest, that woman doesn't necessarily loves them. Yeah, but here, hear me out. I think it's a win-win situation because they each of them have their own agenda, right? This this old American guy wants a beautiful woman. The Filipino person wants to leave the Philippines. So it's like they both benefit in both ways. Now, is it r- right? Maybe not, but it's acceptable in my opinion. Hey, dude, secure the bag. <laughs> That's what I say, you know? Right. I never judge them. I never like, hey, you got to do what you got to do, dude. Exactly. Maybe when I was younger, I'm like, oh, don't do that, whatever. But as I got older, I'm like, secure the bag. Yeah. You life know, is like, hard. Yeah. Especially like a lot of them have kids and stuff and they want to like have a, a better life for their children. I completely understand that. Yeah. Because most of them, like you said, have kids when they were like 16, 17. Right. right? Yeah. Because they're in love with this hot hottie from the village. Right. That's just an <laughs> idiot, you know. Exactly. That guy bounced because he, you know, he womanized. Yeah. And now he's stuck. She's stuck and no education, nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hey, like I said, if you can get one, hey, good for you, man. Like, it's actually, I don't know if it's something I should be proud of. I Probably not. But like every time I see like a couple like that, I'm like, hey, good for you, sister. You know what yeah. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, good for you, but... As a, for the culture, probably not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the Filipino community like in Canada? Is there a big one? Yeah, in Toronto, it's a big one. Here in Montreal, yes. We used to be closer to them, but then politics always comes in. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, you know, I don't have time for these things. <laughs> I like, I love my people. I, I'm yeah. proud of them. Yeah. I just prefer the one that grew up here. Yeah, yeah. Because the one that grew up back home, they have that like the old way of thinking. Mm, you mm. know, let's say, oh, it's uh, Linda. Uh, she's from this area. Mm. You know, like, and they already have an opinion, an idea of you. Yeah. So, how about New Jersey? Is there like a Ugandan uh, group or? There's really not. There's really not. Um, the closest thing that I can find is um, in Boston. There's like a little Ugandan community, and they have like Ugandan food. Everyone speaks the language there. It's really nice. But the funny thing is people don't, they don't like see me as a Ugandan. Even when I grew up in Uganda, they're like, we refuse. Like you are light skinned, you know, you don't look like us. And I completely understand, you know, because I don't look like a Ugandan. I'm obviously mixed. So it's always funny when I'm like, hey, I'm from Uganda. And they're like, what? We don't, we don't think you're Ugandan. But they're really nice and friendly people. But yeah, the one thing I do miss is like the food. And just like people being nice and friendly and yeah, but no community in New Jersey, unfortunately. Mm. You mentioned that, that, you know, the Ugandan doesn't accept you. Does the Russians accept you? Absolutely not. They do not <laughs> accept me. And what's funny is when I used to live in Brooklyn, there's a, there's a lot of Russians that live in Coney Island. It's like near, um, it's in a, a Brooklyn and on the train, I would always be going there and you just hear Russian speaking. And sometimes people would talk about me. They'll say something about me and I would like respond in Russian no. and they would be like super surprised. Yeah, because obviously I don't look like I speak Russian. Like, mm. you know, so it's it, it's always nice when 
even when I go to my mom's side of the country, like they just like, they don't, they look and see me as a foreigner and then I would speak Russian to them and they, they get surprised. And yeah, so it's nice to never really be known. I'm like a little like tiger. Like, I artist. love that. What is it called? Like chameleon. <laughs> yeah. What's the word that they use to like say, okay, in Filipino, we usually say negra, which is black, black woman, right? Yeah. Or itim means black. Yeah. What's in Russian that they say? Um, what do they say? Nothing crazy, please. <laughs> I mean, the color the color black is chorna. Hmm. So I guess, yeah, chorna jevichka, like black girl. Okay, yeah. so once you see that, I'm like, oh, these bitches are talking about me. Yeah, exactly. I, already, like, <laughs> I love that because growing up in the Philippines, I used we used to have this friend of ours. He's half, too. He's half Filipino, half uh, Spanish. Ah, he okay. looks, when when he was younger, he looks Spanish, but now he looks yeah. like whatever he looks like now. Yeah. And we used to make make a joke that he doesn't understand of Tagalog or Filipino. Yeah. And I'm sure you're doing the same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Does he speak it though? Yeah, fluent. Yeah. Wow. Does he speak Spanish too? I believe so, but not fluent. Not fluent, yeah. Yeah, I think he understands a little bit, but I don't think his dad... I think they speak English more. Right, right. At home. Yeah, it's hard being an immigrant. Like, I definitely want to raise my kids to speak a little bit of Russian because I think it's important for your children to know at least a little bit of a language, especially if one of your parents is not from the U.S., you know, like, but it's hard because they speak English at home. And if you speak English at school, it's like, you know, you have to send them to a school that only speaks like Tagalog or whatever language that you're trying to teach them like it's really a struggle I will say yeah you know that saying um, mother's tongue mm. that is real yeah so if mom speaks Russian to the babies they will speak Russian yeah that's why I speak Russian because my mom taught it to me yeah because like me I, I'm teaching my kids they just look at me like I'm stupid they understand a little bit, especially my youngest, like I said. Yeah. The funny thing was I made sure they're close to grandma and grandpa. Yes. The old people. This is where they come in. Bro, it didn't work. Just send them with your grandparents for like a week or something. Well, I mean, my mom, well, my mom and my dad. So I made sure that the kids are close to my parents, right? Right. Which they speak fluent. They barely speak English. They start practicing English with them. <laughs> So they're teaching your parents English. Exactly. So and so now they grew up, they'll say, how come you don't speak Tagalog? And I'm like, you never taught them. <laughs> you cannot expect that from them. Yeah. I told you, you to do? teach them. Does your partner speak any other languages? Uh, she speaks French, I guess. French? English, French. Yeah. yeah. Do, they, um, do they teach French in schools? That's great. I think that's, that's good, at least. Uh, so your kids are going to learn uh, speaking French. Yeah, they speak English and French. It's it's very loaded thing here in Quebec. Yeah. Do you speak French? Un poquito. No, no. Un, po. un poquito. That's not even French. <laughs> That's Spanish. Un, po. un, un poquito. Po. A little bit. Um, I was better when I was new here because I was going to school, practicing. Yeah. I was working with like old Quebecois ladies that doesn't speak a lick of English. Right. So that pushes me. I was going to ask you, how did your company deal with working from home and what's your opinion about people working from home do you think they're more productive yes so i have worked in organizations that have both one was fully remote organization excellent 
Now I work in an organization that's hybrid. I do think working remotely is the best option because one, it gives people flexibility. And if people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, then you can do something about it. You know, if you have performance reviews, if you have systems in place to monitor or not monitor, like evaluate the people's jobs if they're not getting stuff done. The way I work in my philosophy and like teams that I manage and people that I work with, if you work best at night, that's your business. If you have a family, whatever, like I just need the work to get done at the end of the day. We have deadlines to meet. We have things that deliverable. So I'm going to leave all of the scheduling up to you. I don't like it when people feel like they're monitored or if they're in the office, they're more productive. They're not because it's like sometimes you're in the office and you don't really have much to do and you're just sitting and idling. If you were at home, maybe you could have done something better, like spent time with your family or made yourself a healthy meal, you know? So I definitely think that giving people flexibility is the way forward. I hate this whole return to office stuff that all these organizations are pushing out. I think it's going to backfire. A lot of people are quitting, even with the layoffs. It's just a whole bunch of mess. So Mm. yeah, remote work all the way. Do you think those people that pushes people to come back from to the office, do you think that's more ego driven? Yeah, I think it's also just like older people who prefer to have people like in the office or that that's the way that they work. You know, I find like older generations, it's like, hey, I just want to be able to come to your office and like ask you a question. Like, no, you can slack me. We can set up a call. You don't need to come to my office to ask me a question. Like, just because you prefer it, you're making me come into the office because it's your work style that I'm trying to, you know, bend to. I don't think that's the right way. And I think it's definitely older people, people who just have an older, older school mentality of what it means to be productive. Just because you're in the office does not mean you're productive. I can't stress this enough. Like, if you're just sitting there and maybe, okay, people know that you're at the office, but it doesn't mean that you're productive. So yeah, I don't I don't like that. I'm always fighting with my CEOs and my leaders to say, this is the the best way to measure productivity is not by having people come into the office. I understand it's good to like collaborate and have ideas, but like it doesn't mean that they're going to be more productive. They're going to hate you for making them come into the office and be less productive sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a tough one. Yeah. Have you heard anyone, though, that they prefer coming to the office because it gives them uh, routine or like they give them a sense of like goal? Absolutely. I think there are people that do, especially if they live in like a small house or have roommates, like they need that sense of escape. And I think we should provide spaces for that. But it shouldn't be a requirement. Like if you want to come into the office and like you need a change of scenery or it's a routine that you've built, sure, we want to support that. And that's great for you. But, you know, people should have the option. I think that's the main key. Yeah. Listen, Linda, it's been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Before we close out, do you have any last remark or anything you would like to say? No, I just want to thank you for asking me uh, to be on this podcast. You had asked really good questions, and I'm excited to hear it. Oh, that's so kind of you. Again, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Aaron. I hope you have a good rest of your evening. You too. Good night. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Linda, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Del Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.